hello. You're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is session one of my special topics Bible study podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for 40 years, and I love the way that God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Today's topic is water, blood, and wine. We'll take a look at how God's plan for mankind's relationship to Him begins in the Old Testament and completes in the New with these three liquids, water, blood, and wine. So come with me to about 1450 BC. The children of Israel have been enslaved by Egypt for generations, and God has raised up Moses from among them to be their deliverer. He has asked Pharaoh more than once to release God's people from their bondage, and Pharaoh has flatly refused. So now God is telling Moses that he is going to send some plagues of judgment on Egypt. And you may recall that there were 10 of those total, but we are going to look at the first. So consider the Nile River. It was called the father of life by the people of Egypt and considered a god. It is about 4,258 miles long, and today it passes through 10 African countries as it flows north into the Mediterranean Sea. We are now in Exodus chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile, And take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. This was his shepherd's staff that Moses had been using for the 40 years he lived as a shepherd in the wilderness and had married and had sons. And God had used this staff when helping Moses to believe that he was really sending him and would go with him, told him to throw it down on the ground and became a serpent and then pick it up by the tail and it became a staff again. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that's in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, that's his brother, that was sent to assist him, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did, just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. 
But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. That part is difficult to understand. Perhaps the Egyptian magicians had a way of adding something to the water by sleight of hand to make it turn red. Or maybe they did actually convert it to blood by their association with demonic power. Hard to say. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Okay, story one, Old Testament, Exodus 7. The first of the ten plagues that God brought on Egypt at Moses' command. The Nile's water symbolized life. They considered it a god. But God changed the water to shed blood, which symbolized death. So the point was that God revealed his glory, and the meaning was that God judges. He judges sin. So fast forward now about 1,500 years, and Jesus is 30 years old. He is living with his apparently widowed mother, and he has already chosen his disciples, but he has not yet begun his earthly ministry. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Some scholars say that this was the wedding of a family member. And Cana is a small town that is pretty much due west of the Sea of Galilee, halfway in between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, in the region of Galilee. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now that was more than a passing comment. She was implying that she wanted him to do something about it. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. So we see here Mary's role of intercession. She brings this to Jesus, and she seems to encounter at first a bit of resistance. But Mary did not argue with her son. She simply turned to the servants, and in verse 5 she says, Do whatever he tells you. Now why would she have the right or authority to say anything to the servants of the people of this wedding? Well, apparently there was relationship there. If this was close family, then you can see why she might be speaking to their servants. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So I imagine that they weighed a good deal even before they were filled with liquid. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. With water? Who would serve water at a wedding? So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Okay, let's see. We were just in Exodus 7, and God 
had turned water into blood. Now we're in John 2 and Jesus has turned water into wine. Continue on verse 9. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Again, water symbolized life, just like it did in the Old Testament. In this case, God changed the water to wine, and wine is a symbol of grace. As the story in the Old Testament, the point is to reveal the glory of God, but in this case, instead of God judging sin, in this particular case, he's giving grace. So the first of the ten plagues of judgment in the Old Testament was God judging. Water turned into blood. The first of the miracles of Jesus recorded in the book of John was water into wine, God giving grace. So then we move forward four chapters, and we're in John 6, and he makes a startling and very difficult statement. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. The people were amazed at this saying. It was difficult for them because they knew what Torah said about drinking the blood of an animal, it was very important before eating kosher meat that the animal from which the meat came be completely and totally drained of its blood. And now Jesus is talking about drinking his blood? What could that mean? He comes to the end of his life, and now it's the Passover, and he's just a few hours away from his arrest after praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the cross is right in front of him. And we're in Matthew 26, verse 27. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a strange thing. Here, wine, a symbol of grace, is being turned into blood. And they're already in the middle of hearkening back to that tenth plague from the plagues that Moses threw 
God's power brought on Egypt before the people were released from their bondage, and they were saved by the blood of the Lamb over their doorpost, while the firstborn in Pharaoh's family and in the families of all the Egyptians was killed. So what could it mean for wine to become blood? Well, if you'll go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we read, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How could all these things tie together? Let's see. The first story that we looked at was the first of the ten plagues, and water was changed to blood. God judges. The first of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament in John 2 was water being changed into wine. God gives grace. And now we see how that grace is given. We begin with wine, and Jesus said, This is my blood. So because God's grace is not cheap, and because sin must be judged, and because human beings are sinful, Jesus takes our sin on himself and receives that judgment so that grace for us is made possible by Jesus becoming sin on our behalf. Reminds me of the story of the sinful Israelites out in the wilderness being bitten by the venomous serpents, and Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and raised it up, and all the people who looked at it were made well. And we are told that that is a, a symbol of salvation to come. It might be tempting to think, how could you possibly symbolize Christ with a venomous serpent? But here in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that God made Jesus to be sin for us. And so when God looked on Jesus and he was bearing the sins of the entire world, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a division between the two of them at that time because God cannot look on sin. And so once again, wine symbolized grace. God changed the wine to blood, which was a symbol of Christ's death that brought life to mankind. And the point was that once again, like in the other two cases, water to blood and water to wine, God is revealing his glory. But the water to blood and the water to wine are tied together in this blood into wine because salvation for people is through judgment on Christ and grace for us. Isn't that so very beautiful? So this first communion ties in beautifully with the first plague and the first miracle. Now, some believe that when we take communion, the blood of Christ is literal as the wine is transformed into the blood. Others see it as symbolic. But whether you fall into the first camp or the second, the point is that through these beautiful stories of water and wine and blood, we see the completion of the salvation plan of the Lord for us. God judges sin, but God gives grace. 
and he does them both by saving us through judging Jesus. Go with me now to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. This entire chapter is about the coming Messiah, and it fits so beautifully and perfectly everything we've looked at so far. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, meaning Christ, before him, the Father God, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, there wasn't anything extraordinary about the appearance of the physical earthly body of Jesus Christ. He wasn't glowing. He didn't have a halo. He wasn't the handsomest man that ever walked the earth. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Can you see him as he's being beaten? Can you see him as the crown of thorns is being placed on his head? Can you see him as they are spitting on him and hitting him with the scepter that they're using to mock him? Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Can you hear the crowds shouting, crucify him, crucify him? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Can you see him at that Passover meal at First Communion saying to his disciples, This is my blood. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Can you see together judgment and grace joining to make salvation possible for us? The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. As blood flows, grace is administered to us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I find it hard to believe that I'm actually reading out of the Old Testament. What a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Can you hear Pilate asking Jesus, under arrest and on trial, don't you hear what these people are accusing you of? Aren't you going to say something? By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He will see his offspring? How did Jesus have offspring? Well, he came back to life on the third day 
after his crucifixion and death. And then all the people who are willing ever afterward can receive of this marvelous grace and become children of God. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Water is turned to blood in judgment. Water is turned to wine in grace. Wine is turned to blood in a beautiful act of judgment on Jesus that provides grace for us. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Glory to his name. Have you received this marvelous gift? It is there for the taking. If you have yet to ask the Lord to pardon you from your sins, always remember the price of grace was the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you will come to him in true contrition and repentance and give him your sins and let him wash over it with the blood of Christ, you can be reconciled to him and you can become his child. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, pass it along. 